Now, for a while, we've been, um, in the fall, we were in Romans. Then in the, um, then in the new year, we picked up, since it's our year of stewardship, we focused on a stewardship series. But now we're going to return to Romans, and in chapter 4, we're going to be picking up where Paul left off, where we left off in the fall. Um, just as a reminder, as we're getting ready to read, Paul has been kind of going on this little theological journey. He's been helping us, first of all, by painting a vivid picture of our need and, and how, um, how pervasive our sin is, how it, it includes all of our being, uh, our sinfulness, and as a result, how we don't seek God, we don't glorify Him. So Paul starts there, Romans 1 through 3, really unpacks the doctrine of sin. Then, in chapters 3 and 4, he starts unpacking the doctrine of grace. Sin, the bad news, the good news is that there's a righteousness that comes from God, but it's not through the law, it's through faith. And in Romans 4, he starts really picking apart this idea of justification by faith. We are declared righteous because of faith. And now we're going to pick up in verse 13, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. And we're going to read 13 through 16, where, where we go a little bit farther into this concept of faith and what it brings us as believers. So listen to me as I read God's Word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null. And the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. You may be seated. I remember uh, as a high school senior how ready I was to get into college. Um, I could not wait. I was uh, anxious to get new friends. I was anxious to uh, have a new schedule, to not be bound by um, all that came with living in in the home with my parents and just wanted freedom. I wanted to get out. And therefore, I remember vividly when, when the letter in the mail came, my acceptance letter. I didn't know it was an acceptance letter. I just knew it was a response. But I remember holding it, you know, pulling it out of the mail, holding it, nervous. Is it going to be an exception, a rejection? Is it going to defer me? Is it just going to keep kicking it down so I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to get in? But I remember ripping it open, and, and I opened it up, and I saw accepted, accepted I was going to college. And how excited I was, and how really from that point forward, you see, that happened midway through my senior year. So I still had a full, a full semester in high school. But right around January is when I got this letter. And so even though I had five months to sort of still grind out high school, as, as was my perspective, my reality changed. I was in college. I had this, this future hope. I had this, this promise that I was going to college I was going to leave. I was going to have this new experience with new friends, new opportunities, 
and it completely redefined my reality. Today we're going to be talking about promise, specifically the promises that God gives us. And what I hope it will do for us is similar to what my acceptance letter did in college, which is that it redefines our present reality. It redefines our present reality. What we're going to be looking at is is, um, God's promise to us. We're going to try to unpack that. What is God's promise to us? And then how do we receive it? What is God's promise to us? How do we receive it? And specifically, Paul focuses on three points. There's three words that will kind of guide you through the sermon. Promise, first of all. Secondly, law. And then thirdly, faith. We're going to first look at what is the promise of God. Secondly, we're going to look at how the law cannot bring us the promises of God. And then thirdly, we're going to look at how faith is what allows us to receive the promises of God. Promise, law, and then faith. We're going to start um, by, by digging in, actually in the Old Testament a little bit. In a sense, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull Genesis 12, which, is, which Dean read earlier. That's God's promise to Abraham. I'm going to pull that to help us understand what's going on in Romans chapter 4. Starting in verse 13, Paul says this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So right off, I think it's helpful to ask the question, what is this promise? Because Abraham makes a big deal about how we receive the promise. Is it through the law? Is it through faith? And he has this argument. But that's not going to mean much to us unless we understand what the promise is and how significant that is for us. So what I want to do is to jump back into the Old Testament. And I'm going to reread just a few verses from Romans 12. Romans 12 once says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your house, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor those, and those who dishonor you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then in verse 7, God caps it off by saying, To your offspring I will give this land. A few things you need to understand about this promise. First of all, this actually was fulfilled uh, with respect to Abraham and his descendants. God gave a promise and God kept his promise. Right? We believe God is faithful to do what he says he, he will do. And God promised Abraham some very specific things and he gave him those very specific things. For example, we, we, you know, we, we could say that... Um, God promised Abraham a great nation. Well, remember, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. She, she could not have a child, so that was a tremendous promise. God gave him a child. God fulfilled these promises to Abraham very specifically. And through, Abra- through, through Isaac, Abraham's son, a great nation came. God promised, God delivered. He also said, I will bless you. As you go out, I will bless you. I will make you thrive. And in a, in a very real sense, that did happen. Not only did he say, I will bless you, but I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Not only was God saying, do I want to bless you, Abraham, but through you, I want to funnel my blessing to the whole world. And again, we see in a certain sense, Abraham in his lifetime, and, and specifically through the Israelites, 
there was blessings that other nations got to encounter through the nation of Israel in a limited fashion. And then, of course, when God says, I will give you this land, there was this literal land in Canaan that, he, that God brought the Israelites to the promised land. So, in a sense, these things are all literally fulfilled in a very specific way in Abraham's, in either Abraham's life or the lifetime of his descendants. But equally important is to realize that there is this other fulfillment as well. This is fulfillment in Christ. And we even see that in this, in this passage here. The question is, who is Abraham's offspring? Is it just the Israelites, the nation of Israel? And if Abraham's offspring is just the nation of Israel, then the promises made to the offspring don't have a, a real significant bearing on us today. Right? We can learn about what God promised to Israel, but we don't get this sense of this matters to us. However, Paul says that's not true. Paul says that we are Abraham's offspring. Verse 16 says this, The promise may rest on grace, guaranteed to his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Paul is arguing this. To be an offspring of Abraham, you don't have to be an ethnic Jew. To have to be an ethnic Israelite. To be an offspring of, of Abraham, you don't have to just keep the law. To be an offspring of Abraham, you need to have faith. And if you do have faith, then you are his offspring. And if you are his offspring, then you're an heir to these promises. So you need to understand that even though God is speaking to, to Abram in a very specific way, he's also speaking to us. These promises to Abram have bearing on our lives as well. There's a couple of, there's, there's five different promises that, that we could focus on. I will make you a great nation. In a sense, we could argue that the church is that great nation today. The church is the great community of God. God's fulfilling his promise. He promises, he delivers. We could say that God will make our name great so that we would be a blessing. In Christ, we have a great name in Christ, we can be a blessing to others because Christ was the ultimate blessing. Christ was the one who poured out the blessing of Israel into all the nations. So in a sense, we could argue that, that, that we are a blessing to the nations. Today, though, really what I want to focus on in terms of the blessing, in terms of the promise to us, I want to focus on the concept that God will bless us and God will give us a land. Those are the two things in terms of promise that I want us to see today. Just like God promised to bless Abraham, just like God promised to give Abraham a land, a future land, a promised land, so God gives us this promise that he will bless us and he will give us this future promised land. I was thinking today in terms of this promise, I was thinking about how difficult life can be at times. On, on the best days life can be a little disappointing. It's still not exactly what you wanted. You get a new job, but you're working more. You get a new car, but you got a higher car payment. Same thing with the house. Um, the blessings in life are not quite as glamorous as they are from afar, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. We have these great hopes, but there's always these disappointments, even on our best days. And quite frankly, on our worst days, life can be hell. On our worst days, the suffering seems unbearable. And most of us find ourselves somewhere in between there. 
things not the way that they're supposed to be. Sufferings, maybe small hardships, futility in your work, not advancing the way that you would want to advance, not having enough time with your family, not having a family, feeling lonely, broken friendships, broken relationships, broken marriages, sin, guilt, shame. The list goes on. Not the way it's supposed to be. All of us, even on our best days, have this very vivid sense that life is not working the way it's supposed to. And then you add to that our own sense. Not only does this life not work the way it's supposed to, but we, we don't work the way we're supposed to. Not only is this world broken, we are broken. We have this sense that things are not the way that they're supposed to be with us. We have this sense that we don't measure up. We have this sense of regret. When you come to the Bible, it actually makes it even worse. The Bible would would tell us that while we see our problem as this big, it's infinitely worse. We see our sin as this big. God sees it in, in terms of rebellion against him. And it's infinitely worse. Not the way it's supposed to be. But yet, God gives Abraham this blessing saying, I'm going to bless you. You know, today in our time, we think of bless, bless you. When do people say it? When you sneeze, right? A little achoo, and it's kind of this polite thing to say, but it's meaningless, right? I'll bless you. But biblically, it's, it's, it could not be farther from the truth. Biblically, a blessing actually accomplishes what, what is said. It's, it's, in a sense, a promise that if I bless you, you will thrive, especially coming from God. If God blesses someone, they thrive. So here's my question. God, on the one hand, gives, uh, gives Abram this blessing that you will thrive, this promise you're going to thrive. Gives us this blessing, we're going to thrive. On the other hand, we have this reality of brokenness all around us. We have this reality of brokenness within us. How does that come together? Abraham felt this tension. In some senses, he did thrive. God's presence was with him. God guided him. God protected him. But he was constantly on the move. He didn't have a a land of his own. There was this great promised land, but, but actually when he died, the only land he had was the plot of land that he buried his wife in. He was a nomad. There was suffering in Abraham's life. There's suffering in our life. How do we fit that together? Well, I think of Paul in Philippians 4. Uh, It's one of the great passages. I'd encourage you to write that down and go back to throughout the week. Paul in Philippians 4 gives us this paradigm shift. The problem with, with suffering and thriving and blessing in our minds is that we interpret it in terms of external realities. If... I get a promotion, then I'll be happy, then I'll thrive, then I'll be blessed. If I have enough money saved up for retirement, then I will be happy, then I will be blessed. If only I could get married, if only I could have a family, if only I could get a bigger house, better car. We view blessing and thriving in terms of these external realities. And yet God promises to bless us and and to make us thrive In a different way. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content 
in every circumstance. The secret of being content, no matter what is true externally. Paul learned this mystery, and think of Paul's life. Suffering after suffering after suffering after flogging after shipwreck, after beating, after jailing, after persecution. A life of suffering, and yet he is saying, I've learned the blessing, the, how to thrive by being content in all circumstances. It's a mystery, but it's real. This is what God offers us in the midst of these worldly realities, the blessings that God offers his people in this world. There's a second blessing, though, that I do want to focus on that Paul, or excuse me, that God gives to Abram that is applicable to us. Not only does God promise to bless Abram, but God also promises to give him a land. And this is a second reality that you need to see when life is not all that you want it to be. And that is very clearly that life is not all that you want it to be. This is not your home. This, I hate disappointment. I hate pain. I hate suffering. I, I hate them as much as anybody. I'm starting to realize, though, that when I experience these things, it creates in me a desire for something else, a desire for another reality. It gives me a desire for home that I don't have now. God promised Abraham, one day your descendants will go into the promised land, and that will be a land flowing with milk and honey. That will be a land characterized by peace. That will be a land characterized by prosperity. That will be a land where, where there is no mourning. There, there, is, there, there is no sadness. It'll be a, it, would be, it was this picture, right? It, was, it wasn't the final picture, but it was this picture of paradise in a small way. And Israelites yearned for that. Of course, they get there, and because of their sin, they don't last long in the land. It's actually another, it's a sordid history. And finally they get exiled from the land. But that's a picture of something to come for us. And I don't know about you, but I don't live enough in light of the future home that I have. I don't live enough in light of the hope for heaven that God has given me. One day we will be with Christ. He will wipe away every tear from our eye. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more sadness, no more grief, no more death. In a one-week span, we had three funerals in our church. Death is a reality. As Dean says, there's a 100% mortality rate for the human race. We are sick. We're in decay now. One day we will die. Am I trying to make you depressed? Well, not necessarily. If you're suffering right now, actually I would hope that, that these realities of the brokenness of, of our current world and the hope of our future world would actually give you hope that what you're experiencing is right. It's appropriate at times to be sad, to mourn, to be depressed in this life. But if you're someone who, and our society makes this very easy, likes to numb yourself to the pain of this world, like to hide, like to avoid and again, I am one of the worst. I love to run to other things to distract myself from the pain of this world. I would encourage you that when you do that, not only are you numbing yourself from the pain, but you're also numbing yourself to the promises that God gives you for relief. This life is supposed to hurt in a broken world. That was not God's original intent, but when sin entered the world, death entered the world, misery entered the world, frustration entered the world. And in this world, we do have suffering that is real. Our response should be not to flee from suffering, 
by avoiding it or distracting ourselves with entertainment or food or movies or television or the list goes on. Our goal is to put our hope in Christ now to give us blessings, to give us this inner thriving, and one day, one day to have this future home, this future blessing. The promises of God thriving in this life, promises of future paradise. The question, though, exists so, how do we receive this promise? How do we receive these promises? And this is important, right? Because these are big promises, but they weren't to everybody. Uh, picture this. God came to one specific person in all the nations. And he said, hey, I've got promises for you and your descendants. This is not for everybody. So how do we receive it? This is important. If I told you that I had, you know, a um, million dollars for multiple people in our congregation probably be interested to know who's that for, right? Who's going to receive that? How do I know if I'm one of those? You know, these promises are so great that we, you, it begs the question, how do we receive them? So in Romans 4, Paul continues, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. If the, it is by the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, Faith is known, the promise is void. So first we see, Paul kind of gives this this negative and then the positive. The negative is it does not come through the law. These great promises of God, of of peace, of thriving, of a future hope, they can't come through the law, first of all. Uh, In in my my five-month-old room, uh, in Autumn's room, we have this, this towel rack that I attached to the wall five, six years ago. Uh, when I attached it to the wall at the time, I was like, you know what, I'm going to take the easy way out. I'm not going to use the, the, the drywall screws. I'm just going to screw that thing in straight to the wall. And that worked fine for a while. Um, at the time, that was a guest room, right? So we were going to have some, you know, we were going to hang a, a few, you know, towels on it and whatnot. Um, but that, that guest room soon became the kids' room, you know, the, the nursery. And um, particularly our two-year-old, Owen, when we have his, cha- our ch- his changing table right next to that, that rack, right? So it doesn't function as a, as a towel rack anymore. It, it's poorly designed currently. But, uh, but at that changing table, Owen loves to get that thing and just, you know, grab it as hard as he can and shake it. And I try to stop him. But, you know, so right now that towel rack is kind of like, it's just like drooping off the wall. <laughs> it's pathetic. I need to change it. Got to get around to it, right? It's just drooping. It's just hanging there. And um, I can tell you without any question that that towel rack cannot bear the weight of a towel. <laughs> it is no longer, it's a towel rack in name only. <laughs> if I were to put a towel rack on it, it would immediately fall to the ground and, and crash and there'd be drywall everywhere. I think in a sense, what Paul is trying to say in this passage, in this little section, is that the law can't bear the weight of the promises of God. The law of God cannot bear the weight to be how we receive the promises of God. If you asked an Israelite, how do you receive the promise of God? Uh, typically, they would have said, especially the Jews around, around the time of Jesus, they would have said, keep the Ten Commandments. Keep the law. Keep the Torah. If you keep the Torah, the law, then you will receive the promises of God. 
The Ten Commandments is just one, one part of that. You know, that's just a summary. There's actually 613 commandments throughout the whole Old Testament. You keep those, you receive the law of God. You become righteous, and you can receive, sorry, you receive the blessings of God, the promised blessings of God. And in contrast to this traditional way of thinking, Paul says this. He says, the promises did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if the adherents of the law, for if it is the adherents of the, adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Paul is saying this. Okay, let's assume he's, he's talking to the Jews who misunderstand the use of the law. He misunderstand what, what the law is for. They said, let's assume you're right. Let's assume that it is the law that makes you righteous, which then allows you to have the promises of God. Do you know what's going to happen if that's true? No one gets the law of God. If it is, no one gets the promises of God, excuse me. If it is the law that you must follow in order to receive the promises of God, then no one will receive the promises of God because no one can keep the law. Paul goes on to say, the law brings, not life, right? He could have said the law brings the life. The law brings blessings. The law brings promises. But in verse 15, what Paul says is the law brings wrath. God gives us the law. It starts in creation. God created Adam and Eve, and he he gave them all these blessings, these riches, but he also gave them a limit, saying, hey, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve ate, and they died spiritually. And we have all inherited that spiritual death from that point forward. Israel was given the law of Moses. First and foremost was, honor the Lord your God. Don't have no other gods before me first and foremost, among all the other laws. And even as, as Moses is, is receiving the Ten Commandments on the mountain, no sooner than he goes down, the Israelites are, are already worshiping the golden calf. God gives limits, God gives laws. The problem isn't the law, the problem is us. We are messed up, we are broken, we don't keep the law. So the law cannot give life. The law cannot be the avenue for the promises to come to us. The law can only bring us wrath. You can't receive the promises of God through the law. So here's my question to you. Why do we live as if this is true? Because I'm convinced that day in and day out, moment to moment, many of us, even if we know this is true, we live as if it's not. I think the law is written we just have this tendency to want to control God, to want to earn things from God. The way Tim Keller puts it, he says, we have this idea that even, even through our devotional pursuits, we pursue God, and it's kind of this attitude of, I pursue you, I pursue you, I pursue you, I pursue you, okay, now you owe me. We expect God to, a quid pro quo, God, if we pursue God, if we obey God, then God gives us what we want. That's not how it works. That's not how grace works. The picture that God gives us in terms of our relationship to him is one of a father to a son. And as any father, as any parent, would, would, as any mother would, would tell you, it is not the child's obedience that, that, that earns his love. It's not the child's obedience that, that is the reason for love. Love comes from the relationship, father to son. And obedience may incur displeasure at times, 
Obedience does affect the relationship, but it never nullifies the love. Our promises from God cannot come through the law, but they do, according to Paul, come through faith. Verse 16 says, This is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. The promises depend upon gra- on faith, rests on grace, and because of this, we are guaranteed the promises to Abraham and us. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. We don't have a blind faith as Christians. We have a faith that is rooted in God's self-revelation to us. We have a faith that's rooted in what God has done throughout history and what he has promised to do. The faith that we have, the faith that allows us to receive the promises of God, the blessings of God, is a faith that takes God at his word. It takes God at his word about what he says he is, who he says he is, and what he says he will do. God promises us that he will be with us. We take him at his word, even when it feels like he's abandoned us. God has promised us that obedience brings life. Sin brings death. We have faith in that even if in the moment sin seems to bring life, obedience seems to bring death. Ultimately, God has promised us that the way we may have a relationship with him, the way we may have life, both now and eternally, is only through Christ, only through what he has done on our behalf. Keeping the law for us, taking our sin away. That is our ultimate object of faith. Christ Jesus, his work accomplished for us. Through, these, through that faith, we receive the promises of God. There's one other aspect of faith that I'd highlight, and I'd encourage you to think through. Imagine something very exciting. Uh, for example, imagine a promotion at work. Imagine uh, vacation time granted to you. Imagine um, a wedding. Ima- imagine, get in your mind, what is one thing that you would, you would love to have, right? One really practical thing on this world, on this world, in this earth that you would like to have. Um, now imagine that I came and told you that this was going to happen. You've been yearning for a vacation. You're burned out. You need a rest. And I come to you and tell you, you have you're going to have a two-week vacation with your family. You get to rest. Now, that promise is only as good as your trust in me, right? You don't receive that promise. That doesn't start impacting your life. It doesn't start changing you unless you really believe that what I'm saying is true. The reality won't impact you unless you have faith in the one who brings the message. God has given us amazing promises in Scripture. Just the two today I highlighted enough would change our reality if we really take God at his word. That he gives us this internal thriving, this internal blessing despite circumstances. And we have this future hope of heaven to dwell with God. But those promises are only as good as our faith in terms of how they impact our lives. You will not be changed in the way you live your life unless you take God at his word that these things are true. Sometimes our reality 
seems to be the only thing that matters. Sometimes what we see seems to be the only thing that matters. But God is calling us to distrust what we see sometimes and instead trust in what God says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made promises to us. Thank you that you have given us these abundant blessings and these promises of future blessings. Lord, I thank you that these blessings come through Christ, and I thank you that because you have said them, you have spoken them, you have promised them, we know that it is sure that it will happen. God, give us an increased faith. Help us when we struggle. Help us with our unbelief. Help us to take you at your, at your word and to live in light of these amazing promises for blessing now and ultimate blessing one day in eternity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.